What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Rich Ivanowski is here today as well. How you doing, Rich? Doing good, man. Uh, we are alone together today. First time in a while. Yeah, it's been a little bit. And today we are keeping up with our free agency series that we got going on per position. And we only have so long until it starts 3 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday. Today we got power forwards. And... Do you feel comfortable in saying that after shooting guard, this is probably the least needed position for the Kings? I guess so. It's really tough because like we had talked in yesterday's podcast with Jeff about um, positions are just, I've already said this again, but positions are so weird uh, in the modern NBA that I don't know that I like there's two types of power forwards really. Well, there's more than that, but there's two main types of power forwards that we're going to be looking at. And it's really, you could call it stretch and non-stretch power forwards. So, you know, yeah. as far as a non, a, a, a non-shooting power forward, that's probably not a need for this team, but another guy that can hit the three, um, you know, there is Bielitsa, on this team, but I would like to have a backup plan or even potentially an upgrade there. Yeah, I'm with you here. And then a lot of these guys, I mean, it seems like the NBA is going very much towards having a ball handler, three wings in a big. So really that third wing is kind of what this power forward is at times. Um, and some of these guys, I mean, traditionally or previously in years of past would very easily be small forwards. So some of them I even had interest in filling that backup small forward role we have, but maybe we can just hop in to the very top here. Um, you have Kevin Durant as part of this list. Um, I mean, obviously I, we will gladly take Kevin Durant if there's a chance. Don't see that as realistic. The next guy on the list was just uh, linked to the Sacramento Kings by Shams, along with a very long list of other teams. There's good reason a lot of people are interested in Harris. Uh, just to go through the teams, there's Brooklyn, Dallas, Denver, Memphis, Minnesota, New Orleans, and Sacramento. Um, also rumored that Philly will likely offer him that five-year max. I don't see anything topping that. But what is your sort of interest in Tobias Harris fit-wise for Sacramento? I'm definitely interested in Tobias Harris. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, going back to what you're saying with the positional stuff, I think you can split everybody in this group into big wings or small centers. 
And Tobias is definitely in that big wing uh, half of this group. Um, and that's probably the half that I'm more interested in. Um, you know, I, I, I think that when you're talking about wings, especially big wings, there's no positional calculus that needs to be done. Um, you, you do not have enough big wings on your team, period. Uh, I don't care what team I'm talking to right now. That's absolutely the case. Uh, Tobias Harris is one of those guys who could really be used on any roster. So fit is not an issue for the Kings nor any other team. It just becomes a, a financial question. Can, can a given team sign Tobias Harris? Uh, and that's also not an issue for the Sacramento Kings. Um, matchup wise though, where, how would you, uh, sorry, not matchup wise, you know, lineup wise, how would you, what what starting five would you march out there if if Harris came back and let's say Barnes or if Harris if Barnes came back and say the Kings grabbed Harris? I think it would have to be Bagley at the five. I mean, what we've been kind of pushing for, and I know that you definitely think that Bagley is suited to be a five. I think that if you landed Tobias Harris, that is what it would have to be, and then Barnes and Harris are both kind of sharing that three four duty. Yep, I agree, and I think that you could even you could even clarify it a little more by putting Barnes at the three and Harris at the four because yeah. Harris is a much better rebounder. Uh, so yeah, there you know Bagley is a little bit light. Uh, he'll get he'll he will get pushed around for a few more years probably, but um, you know Harris would help the rebounding there. Harris is the kind of guy that could make Bagley much more playable at the five. I don't think a Barnes Bagley uh, front court as a four or five is it's probably not strong enough, probably not big enough, probably can't rebound well enough. But uh, Harris would be an upgrade there, and yeah, it might be a little bit early to put Bagley at the five, but I do see that as his path eventually. I do agree with you that I think Harris can fit on close to any team, uh, but. Sacramento having these holes of you need a backup point guard, you need a, I guess in this situation, you don't need a starting center, but you would still need a backup here. How comfortable are you with giving, um, I mean, it feels a little wrong to assume this, but we've been kind of working, thinking that we're bringing Barnes back for about 20 million a year. So if that were to be about the case, the Kings are looking at about 40 million, assuming that they renounced Willie Cauley Stein. Um, so how comfortable would you be giving 33 of that 40 million to one guy in Tobias Harris? Very comfortable. He is, uh, 27 or about to be 27. Uh, I have, I have the ages down on my sheet as kind of mid summer. So anyone that's about to, yeah. uh, uh, turn a year older, I just put down because they won't be playing until that age. So 27 Barnes just turned 27. Uh, Buddy is 26, Bogey is 26, or they're all 26, 27 in that range by the time the season starts. Like, that's not a problem. Age is not a problem. Uh, we talked about how positional fit is not a problem for me. Um, one issue that I know a lot of people are concerned about, especially in the modern game, is making sure there's enough shooting on the floor. Harris is not a problem there, obviously. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that. I I don't even let me ask you this. 
you we mentioned we really breezed past Kevin Durant, and I think that's totally fine because I don't think he's considering Sacramento. But would you rather have Tobias Harris or Kevin Durant coming off the Achilles? I still think I'm taking Kevin Durant every single time. Like, I mean, I guess I had a little bit of hesitation because of the Achilles, but I mean, if you get the chance to, even though he's coming back from injury, I mean, Durant was debatably the best best player in basketball. I would, you would have to do that. Not for me. I'm going on the record hard on this one that uh, I'd much rather have Tobias Harris. Uh, he is three years younger. You know, to get Kevin Durant on what would be an absolutely massive salary, uh, you know, on the wrong side of 30 years old. Of course, he is a good – I mean, of course he has been a tremendous player, top three player in the league for some time now, but Achilles injuries are really serious business. Yeah. And I have, you know, that is, there's so much risk in that for me. I, I'm surprised by how many people around the league seem to think he'll come back to essentially hundred uh, percent. No one's really ever done that. I think Dominique William, uh, Wilkins was the only guy that's, you know, and that's far, far before my time, but he's the only guy that I'm aware of to have like fully come back. And yeah. he was a prime athlete, like unbelievable athlete in the prime of his life. Yeah. I believe that he was only 24, 25 when it happened to him. So there you go. I, I, no one's ever done this before. No one's ever come back at this is, age from this age. Is Kobe a good comparison? Didn't, I know he lost a lot of athleticism, but he came back. I mean, still a great player, right? I mean, I don't think he came back as a top three player, top five player. That's no, fair. Yeah. I, I don't think so. When was that? What what age? Do we know what age that was for Kobe? I don't. I think it was pretty late. That might be a decent analogy, yeah. but I really don't. If that's what we're going to be getting, then that's – I would rather have a guy that fits the timeline and can play right away because – you know, maybe I'm more desperate for the playoffs than the average King fan, Kings fan, but I think that it would be monumental for the Kings to just get that eighth seed. And if Tobias Harris does that next season, I think that's probably more important than, say, Kevin Durant getting him the sixth seed in the following year. Yeah. As the Kings, I don't have a problem putting out that max contract to Tobias. But just in regards to what his value is, I don't think that he's a $33 million player. I would put him probably about like a 25. Um, he seems like possibly the lowest, uh, level of player that could get a max contract this summer. Him and maybe Chris Middleton. Yep. That's a, they're totally on the same tier for me. And I mean, yeah, he's, listen. Middleton's going to get that max offer from a great team or a team that's going to be elite. Uh, so I don't see why the Kings shouldn't pay a similar price. Uh, I think there's a threshold when it comes to max level players. And I think that Harris meets that threshold for me. You know, it's not, you know, when evaluating a player's worth uh, to a franchise in dollars, it's about so much more than, purely the skill there we talked about the fit not an issue we talked about it's really the availability 
the opportunity cost is zero for the Kings, right? There, it's not like this money could be better spent on someone else, in my opinion. So, I mean, and I'm trying to stay realistic here because, you know, you could hypothetically say, okay, we'll get Danny Green for $15 million and we'll get Patrick Beverly for $15 million, and that might be a better skill level add. Like, that might add more wins to this team, but then you, that's assuming you actually get both those players on those deals. And it's still Sacramento, and it's still a really tough market, and it's still not a free agent destination. So that's that's the Sacramento tax, and I'm, I would be more than happy to see the Kings pay it. Yeah, I'm on board with you there. And the next guy that you have on this list is Porzingis. And, you know, there is the the little bit of question with his injury, but it's rumored Dallas is going to offer him that five-year $158 million. If Sacramento had the opportunity for some reason, he didn't want to stay in Dallas. I mean, you would have to extend that, what, the four-year $117 million is what it would come to for the talent that is the unicorn, right? Um, I mean, I, I am not super motivated to comment on it because I just think it's like a non possibility. And yeah, it yeah. would be to do a four year deal, be limited to 27 or so million. So I don't know. We can talk about it, but I'm, I'm good with skipping over it. I, I agree with what you're saying here. Yeah. So next guy on the list, or I guess the next tier and tell me if you agree is these two guys of Paul Millsap. I was going to say Julius Randle also, but Millsap probably is on another level than Randle for me, um, at least for a year or two here. He is 34. He has a $20 million team option, which I my guess would be that um, Denver does end up picking that up because they should just run it back with the same roster, I feel like. They don't need that money just for next year. Um, but the idea of Millsap coming over to Sacramento if that was a possibility, really does intrigue me. It reminds me a little bit of why I like Horford. Maybe, I mean, they were both on that Atlanta team, but a veteran presence, exactly what he is doing in Denver right now, where he's not going to have the most amazing on-court impact. I mean, he has good defense. He's an intelligent player. He's versatile on offense, but it would be being a big veteran there and also having some sort of impact on the floor. Um, if he was available, that team option was turned down. What would your interest be in regards to Millsap and the Kings? I would definitely be interested. He would feel you brought up Horford. That to me feels like, you know, if we can, if we can blend the positions together, then Paul Millsap and Al Horford definitely feel like they're on the same team or same tier. And yeah, they would do the same thing for the team. Um, veterans, smart, strong defenders, uh, can get some, get some stuff done on, on offense, can shoot it a little bit, you know, not a, not a huge volume. Um, not like really not giving you a plus on offense. Um, I guess Horford, you can debate a little bit between the two of them, but yeah, I, so I think with Millsap, He's an interesting case because if the Nuggets decline his option, they'll have very little space under the salary cap, or I think they'll have about $15 million. They could probably finesse that to like $20 million or so. But if they, if they just accept the, the perceived overpay, 
yeah, it's going to cost their bottom line some money. It's going to cost their owner some money. But you probably can't necessarily go out and get a better player using their cap space. So it almost makes sense to 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 overpay uh, for that team, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that it makes sense, like I said, for him to stay in Denver. Um, and it doesn't feel the most realistic for Sacramento uh, because I don't think that he has – the ability to play that five also. Um, I, he does work in that four, like we said, Bagley at the five, but don't see that as the most realistic. If you had to make another tier after Millsap here. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Who do you feel like belongs in that next year? So for me, and this is where our rankings probably differ a little bit, uh, I would have Randall in this tier with Millsap. And and to be clear, that's the tiers are sort of based on the contracts that I think that they'll get. Um, not so much is this player, is, is player A similar to player B, just because really these are two very different players in terms of their age and in terms of the length of the contract that they'll probably get. Um, Millsap, I think that he could easily, if he were to, if his option were to be declined by Denver, he could probably go out there and get a 20, a one year, $20 million deal pretty easily. Whereas Randall, he's probably looking for something more long-term. Don't know that he'll get it necessarily, but you know, certainly has the youth to sign up a full four year deal, four year deal somewhere and, and, you know, earn, that type of money from my perspective. What's your, what's your take on him though? He interests me. I mean, as a player, you know, I have a soft spot for these hard playing guys. Randall definitely fits that. He just needs to prove more to me. I feel like, I mean, he felt like a very average player. I mean, he didn't excel in any area aside from it felt like being the role man in the pick and roll or not even necessarily the role man because he was able to pick and pop at times as well but the screener in the pick and roll he was nice there and he hustles and there is something positive about being average everywhere not having a major weakness but i just don't see this i mean you have like like you said a 20 million it seems a little much to me like I made my predictions for what I think contracts might look like for these guys. I said maybe like a two plus one, a player option for like a three year 50, something like that, where he's looking, you know, about 17 million, somewhere in that range. Um, Randall just has a little bit more proving to do to me. I mean, that last year on the Pelicans where no one being there, AD not playing most of the year, um, it, I, I just need to see a little bit more from him. So do you have his stats pulled up right now? And if you do, if you don't do not pull them up. Okay. I don't. Okay. You don't. Okay. Let's do a little bit of quiz time here on Randall. Just to guess, just if you, if you don't mind throwing some guesses out there on some of his stats this year. All right. Okay. 
uh, this past season, he played in 73 games, and he started 49 of those games. He played uh, 30.6 minutes per game, so a little bit over 30 minutes a game. What do you think his points per game came in at? I will say that I went through these guys' stats earlier, so I have a little bit of a fresher memory, but I want to say he actually was barely upward of 20 points per game. Um, what do you think? Where do you think his rebounds came in? It, was it? Is it about eight? Yep, very close. Eight point seven boards per game. And how about assists? He was a decent passer. It was. Uh, is it four or close to four? Three point one, which is pretty pretty damn good for yeah. a big. And then let's let's check on how about just do the shooting splits as well. Yeah. So field goal percentage. Okay, um, I can go through. I'll give you all my guesses for these real quick. I have, I, let's say, I want to say it was about 52%, and then 34 and, shoot, I don't remember his free throw, like 75. So what I say, 53, 34, 75. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty much on the money. Uh, 52, 34, correct, correct. Yeah, and I, I pretty much... So, yeah. I, I mean, thought of really, average splits, really. Like, you absolutely nailed that. You absolutely nailed that. However, w- what's going on here? Because twenty-four years old, you know, twenty-one points per game, nine boards, three assists, yeah, fifty-two, thirty-four, seventy-three splits, and that in the volume on the threes is pretty solid. Three three attempts per game. Yeah. So, so explain to me what's going on here. I'm not trying to say that that. These counting stats, these six very basic stats, I'm not trying to say they're the, the end-all, be-all. I'm not even trying to say they're more important than advanced numbers, but explain to me how a 24-year-old that's averaging those insane numbers is not getting a four-year deal. This is fair, and you're making me think about it a little bit more here. I didn't quite buy his defense, and... Also, I just don't know, like, if he has a lesser role and you're not seeing 30 minutes a night, which I guess only 25, you're not going to go down that much. Um, I think that you have a good point. You know, I think that you've talked me into this, that I could see giving him a four year, but a four, I mean, yeah, a four year, 80 million. If you're paying for a little bit of upside, I think that New York or Chicago was linked to him. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You talk me so, into it a little it, bit here. I'm not even really trying to talk you into it. I'm just I'm really asking the question because I'm also not convinced. I, I think it's certainly more. I mean, it, we know that Millsap's not getting a four year deal. No. So I mean, that just from what I was saying initially is that Randall. I think if the team is out there that makes sense, like a fit is out there that makes sense. Like a four-year, $80 million deal doesn't seem insane to me based on his production. But at the same time, like I'm with you as far as something doesn't feel right. And just maybe it's just reading all the articles out there, all yeah. the tweets from Woj and Shams that it doesn't seem to be ahead of that direction. So like rather than – I'm not trying to push you one way, but I'm saying like what's going on? Like what's no, the deal? You have good points. I mean like looking at his synergies page, like – literally everything was average it was it was pretty mind-blowing and then looking at i mean his uh, i mess around with a lot of these guys offensive real plus minus defensive real plus minus 
And out of the power forwards, there were 94 ranked. He was seventh in offense, but he was 89th in defense. Um, I mean, the defense definitely does worry me a little bit there, but having effort and a little bit of length to him helps with that. It's just, I mean, when you see this major role increase and getting the ball in your hands way more often and comparing it to, to last year, I mean, there's a chance that, you know, obviously his shooting got better, but less than 30% uh, every other year he's been in the league, 22% when he was in LA in eight, 17, 18, jumping up to 34 um, I mean, I liked his stroke. It looked like it was going to stick around, but I'm not fully convinced in that regard. Um, it's just, for some reason, I feel like I need a little bit more proof of this is who he is. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm trying to rationalize it myself here. I think that part of it definitely is feeling like, hey, that nothing the Pelicans did statistically means anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alfred Payton's putting up triple doubles, and uh, it, it it does feel like there's a lot of empty numbers to go around on that team. They didn't play defense all year. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like, do you think that's – does that does that condemn these players? Like, I mean, it may not mean as much positively, but does it condemn them? Is it like a knock? I don't know. Well, I think that he got an opportunity to make himself more money than he would have if he stayed in LA, but I don't think that he gets paid just based on this one year that it did increase it. But if, if that was around for a little while, then I would feel okay with the 20. I still just feel like maybe more like a 17, which isn't a major difference, but just 20 feels like a lot. It does. I think that. As crazy as it sounds, and, uh, you know, man, I I just don't see the fit among players that are among teams that have the space. So, yeah, uh, if we got, I mean, Brooklyn, I think, is looking for those super elite guys. The Knicks are looking for the super elite guys. The Sixers, the Clippers. Um, maybe there's a fit with the Mavericks. If yeah, they feel that's what like, I was thinking. Yeah, maybe they play KP at the five. Um, but aside from that, I mean, pretty much everybody. What about what about your beloved Celtics? Yeah, you know, I've thought of this, and Randall did interest me, but I just don't. I, I mean, it, it's another young guy. We don't really have a spot at the four, and he's not playing the five. I mean, unless you're moving. Gordon Hayward to the bench, which I'm not really a fan of. Um, I don't know. There's interest because, like I said, he's a hard-playing guy and there's upside. So maybe you take a risk there. Uh, just personally, I would prefer the money to go elsewhere. I, I'm not – I just have a hesitation with Julius Randle. Yeah, we can wrap this up because I don't think – I mean, like, the Kings are legitimate. Like, they could absolutely go for Randle, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't think we've seen any kind of rumblings about that, so it would be surprising. So maybe this is all pointless to talk about. But, uh, I mean, they're as good as a fit of any for the teams that have cap space. And I'll say this. Like, this dude has a PR of 21, a true shooting of 600, and he <laughs> a, a true shooting percentage of 60 
on 27.8% usage, like that's, that's the offense of a all NBA caliber player. It just becomes a question of defense and it just becomes a question of, can he do it on a good team? I, I'm, I'm just stunned because you know, the only, the only other thing that I can think of is that he's fallen in the cracks of the new positions of the NBA where, like I said, you need to either be a stretch four or a small five, and I don't know that he's either. Yeah, I think that if he – I really need to watch a little bit more of his games, and if I see the the decision-making as well, you know, when he does get doubled posting up or on a short roll, if he's making the right decisions there, then maybe I'll be a little bit more bought. So maybe I just am not as familiar with Randall as I should be. Um, but just not the biggest fan. I mean, 20 million feels like a lot. I feel like I just need a little bit more proof. Like I've said, um, the next guy that you have on your list that you have in his own tier money wise is Nikola Mirotic. And I understand it. Sharpshooter to me, 15 million feels like a lot for a guy that, um, shoot, I don't have any, I don't have how many games he played last year, but he's been injured a good amount and it hasn't been anything repeating. There was an issue with his thumb. There was something with his knee. So she was Bobby Portis's fist. Yeah, exactly. So I, I understand. I mean, he's a lights out shooter, but 15 million. It does feel like a lot for me. I mean, and part of it is like we're talking about what teams desperately need this stretch for. Here's another quick quiz, and and I'm gonna get the I get the feeling that you're gonna nail all these just because we've spent so much time looking at these guys. But without looking it up, I guess it's probably in front of you. But what what age do you think Nikola Mirotic is? Oh, he surprised me. He's only what twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah, he's 28. Which is and that, crazy. Doesn't he feel older to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He feels yeah. way older. He feels like, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, he just feels like a savvy older vet. Like, feel, if you told me that he was a week older than Bielitsa, I would say, yeah, for sure. That, that, that adds up. Yeah. And I was also but, surprised, yeah. random here, but Bielitsa's only like four years into the league. I didn't realize Minnesota was his first stint and then almost left after. But back to Miritich, I mean, it's all three-pointers. Like, he can very slightly put the ball on the deck. Um, maybe just dribble into the side, avoid someone that comes running at him for a pump fake. He doesn't really fit a transition style. I mean, I know that he he did a bit in Milwaukee, so I'll, I'll take that back slightly. But he's not fast in that regard. His defense is... Is okay. I mean, he can he can keep up for himself. If you put him in a pick and roll, he's gonna get screwed and blown past. So it just feels like a lot for me for what feels like a kind of one dimensional player. Yes, uh, I'm sorry. I, no, I was uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking at these numbers as well, and yeah. I mean, I'm trying to find a little bit more depth in here. I don't want to pigeonhole him too much as just a shooter. You know, I think that. I don't know. I, I think that he does decently on defense. Um, yeah. He he does have pretty quick hands. He does have decent reactions. But you're right that he's not super athletic. Uh, but he's only 28, so it's not like he's he's certainly not as slow as a Bielitsa. But 
you know, I, I think that part of it comes down to what teams ask of him. And, and if you can get a guy that is a, is an absolute knockdown shooter and you can put him at the four and he's got the size to hold his own, uh, against, uh, opposing forwards and opposing bigs when he needs to, that's kind of valuable. And I, I think, especially if he goes to a team that has some solid, solid defensive framework, solid defensive framework for him to work within, um, you know, I think Milwaukee can't retain him, and that's that's yeah. a bummer. I mean, he didn't get to play there very long. Uh, the Pelicans probably weren't the best; wasn't the best place for him to be last season. I mean, Chicago was pretty rough when he was with them. So, I don't know. Maybe we see him on a better uh, on a, on a team with a better. Uh, you know, strategy. I, I will say that when he was on the Pelicans, when Boogie went down. Him being next to AD really was able to unlock AD, but that does feel a little unique. Obviously, AD is this amazing low post player, um, and it doesn't quite feel like the Kings have that, but I guess it is comparable to Bielitsa in a way where when we were starting Bagley and Giles, that the spacing wasn't quite there for some of these guys, so they needed Belly in that lineup. So I do get what you're saying. I mean, there is a... A, a lot of positives to having a great shooter on the floor. Um, but if we were talking for the Kings, I think that you could get other players that could fill that for cheaper and give you close to the same thing you're looking for um, on a much lesser contract. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that he's a fantastic floor spacing power forward. I think there's a ton of teams that would love to have him. The Kings, I don't know that he's the best dude for them. For them, I mean, you probably just want a bigger body who's going to hang out down low to, to pair with Bagley. But Miritich is a very good rebounder too. So let's let's not let that slide. This isn't like a Brook Lopez situation yeah. where he's getting like you know four boards a game. Like Miritich was was grabbing eight boards a game. That's pretty solid for a guy that that plays on the perimeter a lot. Yeah, which is fair. And then. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The the next sort of group of guys you got here is Rudy Gay, Thaddeus Young, and Bobby Portis. And there's one other that I feel like that I personally would add in here. And I think Marcus Morris belongs in that group of those guys. Homer. You think? I honestly <laughs> hated Marcus Morris at times on the Celtics, but... To me, compared to those guys, like the three and D that he brings while also being able to shot create a little bit, I, it feels close to the same level. Maybe these guys would see a little more. I don't think Rudy Gay. I think Rudy Gay and Marcus Morris are about the same, but maybe Thad Young and Portis can see a little more. Um, you have Morris in the five. So I would argue that I think that he could get, I think he could get a two year, $25 million contract or a two year, I mean, I, I think that a team could offer that. It would be a little much, but I could see it there from Morris. 
No, that's fine. I, I think that you're probably right about that. Uh, I, I will move him up in my tiers. I, I just personally don't think of him that highly. So I don't know. Uh, I, he was streaky at the beginning of the year. It felt like he was just going to be the most consistent player on the Celtics, which was crazy. Um, but he had three months of above 40% from three, and he also had three months of below 33%. So there was some consistency issues, but overall, just being able to hit from deep, um, we had him guarding the likes of Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant. So I think that that versatility is big as well. Um, and I guess he is, he does fit this four, but I would think of him in, if we were talking, bringing him to Sacramento in more of that, backup three role. Well, he's definitely been talked about as a target for the Kings. So he's someone we should, should spend some time on here. Um, tell me, I mean, you've got a, a very close look at him uh, for a long time, but the reason I think that I put him in a lower tier is that I don't know. He, he's not really been a starter for most of his career, right? Yeah, that's true. I think that um, in Detroit, he was a six-man a lot and asked to shot create a little bit. And he was capable, uh, but when he came over to Boston from Detroit, it was just, he was a ball stopper. It was the most agitating thing. I hated him the first year and just just couldn't do it. Every time the ball got in his hands, you knew he was going to take two dribbles in and then shoot some mid-range. But the thing is that he would make it a good amount of time. So it was almost a little difficult to be frustrated. But this year, he cut out those mid-ranges and turned them all into three-pointers. So I, and still being able to, when he needs to, uh, kind of create at times, but being, he shot on unguarded catch and shoots. And this is from Synergy, 70.4 effective field goal percentage. Um, th- it felt like the, if this guy was open, he was going to hit it great. Uh, catching in his pocket. So I, I just really like the versatility to him. Uh, he's a very smart defender. He's good on ball and he was constantly hounding. Uh, Jalen Brown was a guy that was uh, out of position a lot and he would be sure to let him know. Um, he felt like a leader on the defensive end and just that dog. I mean, one of those guys that's one of the first ones on the floor. So I fell for him this year. And I do think that he changed his style a little bit and it fits more modern NBA because he took out those long twos. I think that you're right. He's evolved over time. And I have, uh, I have, I don't know that my opinion of him has evolved with him. So that's a shortcoming of mine. Um, because I, I really, it's for some reason, it still sticks in my head that he feels like a 20 minute per guy a night. And that's, that's definitely underrating him. Um, I, I'm going to move him up, but yeah, I mean, he's not like a super elite shooter. He's, he's pretty, pretty damn good, but I don't know that he's on that Miritich level. And I guess the, yeah. the, to explain myself a little bit more, I think that I had seen gay and young and Portis as guys that a team might take a flyer on to start where I feel like Morris was sometimes, you know, the lower contract comes with a competitor uh, or a contender going after you. So maybe a contender offers Marcus Morris, uh, you know, the, the biannual exception or something like that, which means that he's going to be limited to 
uh, I, I guess the biannual is probably a little too low for him. But maybe they offer them, maybe you know, maybe they offer him uh, half the MLE. So when they get when you get into those exceptions, I could just see a team being like, "Listen, we value you, but we can't pay you um, starter money. So if you can come off the bench, play twenty really solid minutes for us, maximum effort minutes, and help us win a championship, like that's kind of the more of the contract I see versus um, you know the Spurs bringing back Rudy Gay." or uh, yeah. that young finding a starting power forward spot somewhere, even if he's not a star, more of like the fifth starter somewhere. And, and Portis maybe just someone's like, listen, we'll take a flyer on this guy for 10 million, slot him into a starting spot. If he works out great, if he doesn't, you know, it's not the end of the world. We're do, we'll do a short deal for him. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I think that like, throwing a random team out there if he was on Houston Marcus Morris would be the exact player that you would hope for um so I I do agree with that um I just think talent wise that he is on the same level as some of these other guys um the main guy that interested me in that other group was Thaddeus Young and we've talked about this before he would already be one of the best defenders on the Kings and I was watching a bit of film on him today and I didn't realize how quick he was on his feet uh, he can get boards and take it down himself. I mean, the handle's not tight in any sort of way, but he's able to do that. He's not a great three-point shooter. It was 34% on the year, which looked fine, but the catch and shoot just doesn't look very great. Um, but it, it's this defense. I mean, yeah. it felt like he was able to switch one to four, even at five at times. I mean, not the most comfortable with him guarding the point guard by any means, but having that switch ability would just be extremely valuable while also being um, capable on the offensive end. I to, Over today, I fell in love the, with the idea of Thaddeus Young. Right. The three-point shot is not real. I think, you know, he taking less than two attempts a game means that he's only shooting one open. So to me, that's not a real shooter. Uh, I don't think he's going to get you any gravity, so that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, then as far as his defense, it's incredible. I think that he may have been one of those guys who got like one second team vote or something like that uh, for all defense. So, yeah, I, I love him. I think he's probably maybe the best defensive four in this group. It, you can make an argument for Morris, I suppose, but I would lean young. Yeah. And the question for me comes fit with this team regarding the shooting. Yeah, I mean, and that definitely is an issue, but I, I do think that at least being slightly capable, that I, I do really value the defense that he would bring to this team. I think that he does a good job of running in transition, and if the Kings are sprinting down, that that could uh, eliminate a lot of the offensive issues that we see of Thaddeus Young. So I think that And even aside from just being like a physical defender where you have the physical tools, he's smart and that he will be able to share with, with Bagley, with Giles. And I think that that has a value to it in itself. So I I do see where you're coming from, where he could cause an issue on the offensive end. But I think that you, if you desperately need offense in a moment that you can sub him out, you can bring in, say, Bielitsa at the four, where it's, you kind of switch to fully offensive focused, where I don't think that 
his offensive struggles, quote unquote, is enough of a reason to not bring him to, for, to Sacramento for the right price. Do you have RPM pulled up by any chance? I do. Would you mind just looking? Because I honestly don't know where he finished offensively. I actually have that. most of these guys offensive and defensive RPM. So if you want to know for any of them, it, let me know. Um, yeah, I want to know if it's bad. Maybe let me guess and just see if I'm like wicked far okay. off. There were 94 total power forwards. Okay. Um, offensively, let's say like totally middle of the pack. So what would that be like 46 or something? He was 47. 14, he was 14th. What? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to really like go look at some of this guy's tape because I I mean, maybe it's just an efficiency. Let me check out his usage. So below average usage, that's, you know, that can be a good thing, but if you got Barnes and Thad who are low usage guys, uh, I don't know. I I'm just trying to think of maximizing the fit around Bagley because he's kind of the future. What yeah. a guy that can get us to the 8 seed, but if Thad doesn't feel that like he's going to make that jump, like obviously Tobias Harris could make that jump. But if, if we're going with a guy that's not going to give us that jump, I'm probably going to just continue to focus on who's going to be best around Bagley. And I think I would probably lean Morris here. If the choice, give me, let me know what's your, these are two guys you like. You can either sign Thaddeus Young or Marcus Morris to a two year, $20 million deal. Oh man, this is, that's actually really tough. Um, I think that I do lean. Mm, man, I was gonna say young, but I, I'm still gonna go with young. And maybe it's just because, like I said, literally today I fell for this guy um, even harder. But just being able to share that, being a smart defender with Bagley and Giles. That I really value. The rebounding is an issue, but that's not any better with Marcus Morris. Um, there's kind of a post-up game with Thad Young. I mean, I don't know how much you're using that with Bagley there as well. Right. I- I'm leaning Thad Young, but it's really not that big of a gap. So let me here's a take, take a guess at this. What do you think Thad Young's percentage of attempts of his field goal attempts? What percentage do you think he takes at the rim? Let's go. It's not. Is it like fifty? Yeah, about fifty. So like forty-seven percent of his attempts at the rim. What do you think Marcus Morris takes at the rim? Oh, what? uh, Like thirty-five. Seventeen. Yeah. Wow. So these guys are really opposite players. In fact, Thad Young takes forty-six percent of his shots from three. Whereas, uh, you know, Thad takes 46% of his shots at the rim and then essentially inverse, really truly inverse, where Morris has taken 17 at the rim and Thad's taken 18, no, 17. That's exactly the inverse. Wow. He's taking 17% from three. So, yeah, these are the exact opposite players in terms of their shot chart. You know, I'm going to have to think on it a little more. Um, but that is a very interesting question to propose. Either way, I'm not mad with either one coming onto the Kings for what you say, two years, 20 million. I totally think that that is, that that's realistic. Agree. I would love both of those. So the next, uh, next tier of guys, or I guess to touch on Rudy Gay and Bobby Portis. And actually when I was doing all my research here, I did accidentally skip over Rudy Gay. Um, I don't think that he comes back to Sacramento. Are you in the same with that? You know, as a guy that wasn't covering the Kings at the time of his departure, I've heard a lot of mixed stuff. So people saying that 
he would never come back. And then other people saying he left in totally, totally fine terms. I've seen people say that the fan base turned on him and then other people saying like, that's the most ridiculous thing to say ever. So I, I, you know, I can't really speak to that. I get the feeling that the people that quote unquote turned on him are like on Twitter. So I don't think people are like throwing hot dogs on at him at the arena. So I, you know, I think that if the money was better in Sacramento and the interest was there, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but again, I'm going to have to base that on, on, uh, I, I will, I will defer to other people, other, other people that were here at the time to, to make that call. And then Bobby Portis, you know, I, I put him up here just because he's 24 and then, Everyone else we've talked about, essentially, from Nikola Mirotic and then even going down into the next tier, like really far into this next tier, no one's that age. So you've got like KP that we talked about at the very beginning, Porzingis, and then you got Julius Randle. And then after, other than Portis, it's like nothing, 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 Jabari Parker. So I thought I'd throw him in here. Yeah, I don't blame you. And then literally today, I saw something that was Tony Jones and Fred Katz, which is the um, the Utah and Washington covers for the Athletic, saying that Portis is seeking as much as sixteen million, which I don't see happening. But he's been linked with a lot of teams. I mean, the Lakers being one of them. Uh, I don't recall the others. I think that Washington is very close to letting him walk out and focusing more on Thomas Bryant and Sadaransky, as I think they should. Portis impressed me on the offensive end. Um, I will say that the, the little intangibles of setting hard screens weren't there. The hustle wasn't there at times, but nobody on the Washington team ever cared enough to hustle this year. Um, his three point shot looked amazing though. Nearly 40% from three and just a smooth stroke, but the, there was a high usage for him. I mean, he's able to make plays for himself in a way, but it's just mid-range and three-pointers. He's not good at finishing at the rim. Uh, he's decent in transition, but the, the defense was terrible here. So the offensive upside, I do think that because of that, someone will give him an opportunity in this 10 to $12 million range would be my guess. Um, I think there's a chance that he's there. No sort of interest from the Kings point of view. It's all on one side of the ball for Portis. Yes, he's a special player on offense, but he might actually be worse at defense uh, than he is good at offense. So, so out of 94 players, where do you think he is in defensive real plus minus? Oh, man, I bet it's, <laughs> I it's bet bad. It's really, I bet it's uh, like 80th. 90th. Yeah, he's, a, he's bad at defense. So um, I'll give you – I'll run down the rest of my next tier. Um Damari Carroll, I threw in here because I think he's aged out of being a small forward. He's kind of more in that like Jay Crowder type role of a stretch four who used to be a three, but he's got, he always had a little extra size. So, um, that's carrying over, but can still hit the three. Uh, we talked about him enough, I think, on a small forward podcast that I'll separate him from this group and then I'll read off the rest of these guys. Um, uh, tell me what you think of this group here. Mike Scott, Noah Vonley. Michael Green and Alfreak Aminu. The most interesting one for me is probably Aminu. 
even though he only had four games played last year because of a left knee issue. Uh, but the year before, he was a perfect 3 and D guy in Houston with 48% from the field, 36% from deep. There was issue with, with his free throw a little bit, but there's no mid-ranges. It's all rim and three-pointers. Um, 37% from deep, like I said. It's just a perfect 3 and D guy. And I think having that previous injury, you could get him on a, say, 4 or $5 million deal. Uh, Damari Carroll, like you said, we touched on a little bit, interests me. Uh, mainly for that backup three, and he also could fill this four. But Mike Scott, I'm passing on. I mean, the defense, uh, I'm not a fan of. I get that he is a elite shooter, and that is a big plus, being 40% from three. But he's actually worse from the field. Uh, I'm just not a big Mike Scott guy there. Jamichael Green, I like, but I feel like I would talk about him more as a five. Um. I know that he has the size of a four, but I really would like him as that backup five almost, which could work next to Bagley. That interests me. Um, so I guess the two most intriguing would be Jamichael Green and Al Farouk Aminu. Or I'm sorry, I said Aminu was the one that had only played four games. I was thinking of Emba Amute. Um, no, yeah, Aminu. I, I always mess those guys up because there's like more than two names yeah. in there. Uh but yeah, I'll just say this, and if you if you want to focus more on it, we can. But there seems to be a tier in every position that we feel like just doesn't make sense for the com- composition of the Kings roster, and this feels like the tier that I would pass on. As far as you want to go, either above this to get a guy who's going to start, or you want to go below this to get a guy who could, um, you know, maybe be behind Bielitsa in the rotation. Agreed. And there's three guys in that next tier, and at four if I'm including Mba Amute, that I do really like his possibilities. Um, maybe I can take half a second here to just say that I think Jabari Parker is one of the most frustrating, if not the most frustrating player in the entire NBA, because his defense is just, yeah. oh my god. Like I, I actually can't stand watching Jabari Parker. He's like what we described with Bobby Portis, like without the offensive upside, so... yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, he has some offensive upside, but it's a disaster. And then I'll also say, I, yeah, I skipped past Parker because he's got a team option that uh, reportedly will be declined and then they'll renegotiate with him for some reason. But there's another guy on here who's an RFA. The rest of the guys were unrestricted, but this is my legitimate favorite player in the NBA, not a king, you know, non king category, non Harry Giles category. Uh, Maxi Kleba, this is my boy right here. He's a shooter. He's a block artist. When we talk about the things that we want a big man to do on the Kings, we talk about rebounding, we talk about shot blocking, we talk about shooting. And Tim Maxwell has kind of championed this three-headed way to approach free agency. Uh, Kleba might actually be the best guy to cover all three, but uh, that's you know he's I'm not going to get too much into it. He's an RFA. He's he was a really old rookie. I don't think there's real interest there from the Kings, but this is just like this is the guy that I said early in the year. I scream I was screaming at, at another member of STR like Maxi Kleba is better than Willie Cauley Stein. I was screaming at this dude, and he's like, no way, Maxi Kleba. That's a joke. Like he was the that he's like. That's the worst take you've ever had, Richard. And I'm telling you, time will prove me right on this take. I think you're already right, to be honest. Like, 
I, I'm on board with you here. I really like Kleba. I think that he was a fan favorite over there for a reason. I do think that, like you said, he's going to end up staying in Dallas, being a restricted free agent. But just the versatility of this guy, being able to do everything. I mean, 6'11", he can play that center spot, but he's also able to slot into that floor because he hit the three at a 35% clip. Um and it's mainly just sh- that shooting is what you're going to get from him on offense. But the defensive effort and, like you said, being a block artist at times, which were probably some of the best blocks on the year, were Maxi Kleba blocks. Um, I am a big fan of this guy. I just don't see it as realistic for Sacramento. I, I, I guess I guess the question would be is how much would it take to pry him away from Dallas? Because Dallas has a lot of cap space. Yeah, I, Dallas is one of the hardest teams to figure out. So, but one thing they can do is retain him. Uh, and then basically they have his, I believe they have his full bird. I'd have to go back and look, but, um, they can basically sign whoever they need to sign and then, uh, go over the cap to re-sign Kleba. So I think they'll probably do that. Um, you know, if someone offers him like a huge offer sheet, they will let him go, but realistically it makes no sense for them to leave him because the only real penalty he'll have to their team composition is it will, it'll be none. It'll just be money out of Cuban's pockets. And if we're looking at this next tier guys, um, I'll just go through them and then pick which ones interest you that you'd want to talk about. But you have Luke Mbamute, Mike Muscala, Jared Dudley, Todd Gibson, Jeff Green, Anthony Tolliver, Trey Lyle, and and we'll we'll stay at that for now. Yeah, um, I let me pull my guy out of here, which is Mike Muscala. I think that if you can get this guy for three or four million, I. I think this is a big guy who can shoot it just fine. And that, you know, if he can only give me that, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. And, I, and I, I think you'd probably say the same thing about Tolliver as well, but Muscala is a lot younger. Yeah, I get what you're saying here. Um, I like Tolliver more because I do think he has more defense, even though he is 34 years old compared to Muscala about to be 28. I do like the defense a little better from Tolliver. I feel like Muscala is extremely repetitive of Bielitsa and honestly just a worse version. Uh, I mean, worse, I, I guess, I guess so, but wouldn't you want to, I mean, this guy would be probably half the price of Bielitsa. So I just feel like the Kings could use another shooter. If Bielitsa were to get injured, I mean, who's the big man that's going to stretch the floor for this team? It, it's nobody, right? Yeah, that's fair. And I guess if we're talking minimum contract, I mean, I don't, I don't have an issue with it. I think that you had Mike Scott in this $5 million range. I feel like he's likely in this minimum or 4 million, uh, type range also. I think that he could be as realistic of a target if we were talking low money as Muscala. The reason that I think I put Scott a little bit higher is that he had a nice playoff run and he also, um, He's just kind of like this is gonna be, this is gonna be crazy, but he's just kind of cool, and he gets on TV a lot. It's the emoji he, tattoos. Yeah, and the three general manager is his nickname. Like, he's just yeah. a cool guy. Like, his fits are like really on point. Like, I just enjoy you know his press his press conference. What was I forget the press conference quote, but he just like crushes his press conferences and like yeah. his PR people are probably so thrilled with him. 
So I think he could get a legitimate like two million dollar bump just from name recognition and, and handling the media the right way. Okay, that's interesting. Um, that he was on like a good team that that did fairly well in the playoffs. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, two two of the guys I meant we mentioned Tolliver. I do like the idea of that a bit as a. Uh, third behind Bielitsa at a little bit of a stretch four that's a veteran. I think that he had, uh, yeah, it's nine teams in his 11 years and actually 2016 to 17, he was in Sacramento. He yeah. interests me a little bit, uh, being that three and D type guy, even though he's older. Uh, the other two guys that I like are Jared Dudley. We've heard that one thrown around. I think that he can play anything from a three to five, which intrigues me. And we saw him be that leader. Um, it feels like he would almost have that Vince Carter type role in regards to really being the veteran leader of the team very clearly. Like he seems to be an extremely vocal guy that, I mean, from what we can tell, all the guys in the locker room get along with him. He's very vocal on social media saying what he thinks about varying teams and thing like things like this. And he brings it on the floor. I mean, 35% from deep is nice. Uh, the other, um, Percentages are not great, 42 from the field, 69% from the free throw line, but it's a low usage. He's really only shooting three-pointers, and being that limited role and just a smart player, I do really like the idea of, or the potential of Jared Dudley coming here, and I've said a bunch of times how I really value that mentorship. Totally. I mean, I I think we talked a little bit about uh, Vince Carter and a little bit about Corey Brewer, like these types of guys in the in the small forward category for those guys. I think that that Dudley is on that level and maybe even a step above as far as I mean, the dude is like he he plays good basketball still. I, I, you know, it might fall off a cliff at some point, but I mean, he can do a lot of stuff. Uh, he's a versatile guy. He's not just a shooter. He's not just a defender. He's he's maybe not the world's biggest impact player, but I think he's a plus uh, on pretty much any roster. I think would be happy to have him for for a, a, a low cost, and and the Kings absolutely could use another veteran um, on that type of money. And then I mentioned the other guy that interests me is Jeff Green, and he's kind of been the poster child for inconsistency. Oh. Um, <laughs> And I, I like because of that. I mean, his splits looked decent. Forty-seven percent of the field is not great. Thirty-five percent from deep and eighty-eight percent from the line. Those intrigued me. And seventy-plus games played for the last three years. But I looked at the three-point percentage before and after All-Star break. And maybe, maybe I'll turn this on you now. Do you want to take guesses at? We'll start with what his pre-All-Star break is. I'll tell you that that one is higher than post. I saw your tweet earlier. It, so. It's disgusting. from pre all-star 27% from post. Uh, if that's not the definition of Jeff green, I don't know what is, but he was, um, he shot 74% at the rim for the year. That was really nice. And I got a chance to watch a lot of Washington this year. And he actually surprised me as being one of the highest, uh, motor guys on that team. Like I said, I mean, it, doesn't take much to be the highest on that Washington squad, but I really liked what he brought. His defense surprised me. I thought that he is strong in that regard. He can move his feet a little bit to keep up with some of the quicker threes as well. So it's definitely not a number one option in any sort of way. This is the same thing as a minimum guy that would play that role of, like we said, Dudley Tolliver. Um, but 
compared to like Taj Gibson, I don't have interest. I would prefer Green over a couple of these other guys. I'm not doing this with you. No, I'm not letting you bring Dennis Schroeder and Austin Rivers and Jeff Green onto my Kings. What? Okay, so tell me your just just a Jeff, Jeff Green. Tell me your Jeff Green. He sucks. <laughs> Period. Basketball specifically. Great guy, I'm sure. But I mean, okay, so he's not good. Like, he's really not. Like, I don't know. I've seen him play. I, I don't, I can't offer like the world's best numerical argument. If this is an eye test thing for me, I've seen him play. I've seen him make a lot of mistakes. Um, yeah. You know, he doesn't shoot the ball well. Like, he, he takes, he's got a poor true shooting percentage through the majority of his career. Um, I think that he just lacks that fundamental uh, understanding of what's a good shot and what's not a good shot. Um, maybe that's going away with time. He did have a really nice year last year. Um, as far as the shooting, it really went up a lot. But I mean, there were just there was so many seasons and so many stints where he let his team down repeatedly. For me, I know it was Boston. I hated it. This is the guy we traded Kendrick Perkins for. We lost a championship because we traded for Jeff Frickin' Green. I, I have my issues with this guy, but I do feel like it evolved and I really was not a fan of him, but watching him a good amount last year, and maybe that's not fair that, you know, I said Julius Randle needs to prove it for another year, but it felt like Jeff Green more so accepted his role rather than trying to be this creator a little bit. He just, is versatile in some of the skills he has, and he is able to hit some shots. What's his RPM like? Because the the box plus minus is bad. Yeah, so uh, the offensive one is 16th. Defense is, um, do I have to say this number? It is 88th out of 94. Yeah, so what was the offense? Uh, you broke up a little 16th. bit. 16th. Yeah, I... That's great, and I think that you know when you have an anomalous shooting year, when you, and like let's be clear, it still was south of thirty five percent, still worse than league average there. Yeah, uh, like when you have an anomalous year that's still below average, and that boosts you up. Um, you know I, that's not a selling point for me. Uh, when you've been below league average in true shooting essentially your entire career, you know this is a guy who shot. 31% last year and 27% the year before that. So, Oof. you know, it's just, I don't want to do this. I don't want, I don't want to do this. That's fair. No, I, I can, I, I'm not going to blame you for that in any sort of way. I just got convinced by watching a good amount of Washington last year. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. Like fine. Like I think, I think a lot of his, I'm being too hard on him. And that's really because his, he looks way worse on a great team. I'm sure he'd be fine on the Kings. Like he would, provide some value at $3 million, $4 million. But uh, yeah, I, I just think there's better options at, at any of these levels. Like, would you rather have Jared Dudley? Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. So then in that, in that scenario, I'm, I'm not really thinking about Jeff Green twice. So, and that's pretty much the end of my list. If you want to keep no, going, I'm good. Um, let me just say two names, Trey Lyles and Chuck Diallo are two guys around this level where just like just slightly above minimums where I would I would throw an offer out to either of those guys for like three to five million 
just to pull them yeah. away from their teams. They are restricted, but they're also 22 and 23 years old. Uh, Lyle's 23, Diallo 22. And I, I think there's some potential there. And if the Kings are sitting around at the end of the day with a bunch of money and guys like that are unsigned, I would, I would grab them. And then also my super, super deep sleeper is uh, Sacramento native Ryan Anderson. He will almost certainly be waived if he hasn't already been waived unofficially. And um, at the minimum, I mean, if we legit get him at the minimum, I think that he could not rebound the basketball, but rebound from his poor shooting year, from his poor everything year, and shoot the ball well. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Doesn't he have, isn't it like $25 million next year? I think it's like, yeah, I think it's like $18 million. Um, and it's a lower non-guarantee, and he will absolutely be cut. Okay. And then also, um, I, I'm on board with you if Lyles Diallo is there. I'm more interested in Lyles, but at the same time, I would throw a minimum at Diallo. And Diallo also just, um, New Orleans just announced that they were not extending the qualifying offer to him, so he is officially unrestricted free agent. Um do you want to dive into what your number one offer would be out of guys in this group? Yeah, let's do it. I, I'll throw mine out there. I mean, I will throw out there a max at Tobias Harris. Uh, I'm on board with you. I didn't include that as part of my group. Um, yeah, no, but I, I agree. I think that it's obvious that you offer it there. I mean, just because I... I don't think they're going to do better with 33 that 33 million. Yeah. So, and he's yeah. young. I mean, if, yeah. yeah. If if we come out, if the Kings really come out of this offseason with Tobias Harris and Harrison Barnes and basically nothing else, I mean that's a big fat win. Agreed. So then I'll start with my second one here, and it's actually funny because we touched on this, but I wrote it down before we started, so I'll stick with this. I had Dad Young at 2 years 30 million. You know, I'll be honest with you. I think that I would, I think you convinced me and I would rather have Morris at that, at that rate. That's my second guy. It's literally, and actually I lowered the money a little bit for Morris. I said 225. Um, even though I was arguing earlier, I think they're on the same level. The, those are definitely my two, three after, um, after Tobias Harris. That's uh, I mean, you know, the one, two, three at this point, I think is becoming for me more like the three target, three equally good at different levels. So for me, like Harris is that that big money target. Morris is that sort of middle level target. And then for me, maybe we can find a guy to agree on at like that five million dollar range, like that maybe even lower. Is there a guy up bit down there standing out to you? Um, I like Dudley. Yeah, I, I think that's a great one. Honestly, he won. He he said on, uh, you know, he he actually came out and said on the Tampering podcast from the Athletic that he would like to be a part of a team like the Kings. So he was saying he wanted to be a part of young teams turning the corner, and the first team he threw out there was the Kings. So, yeah, I mean. I, that to me feels like it makes perfect sense. Agreed. And Dudley would be a minimum, right? Um, I think a team like the Kings that has so much space that they don't even know what to do with it. I think you, you do him the solid of giving him more than that. 
So I think I think you give him like a one year five million dollar deal. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm in the same boat here. Um, I think that we went pretty in depth with these guys. You feel like there's anything else we missed out on? No, I feel pretty good here, man. I I think that there's I I have a tendency to try to to mention guys like in the the unlikely chance that they are waived. You know, maybe like Ivan Robb if he's waived or Christian Wood if he's waived from the Pelicans. Those are guys I'd look at as well. But but otherwise, I think we really did a, a in-depth, uh, some in-depth coverage here. Yep, I think that we are good. And then tomorrow's episode will be us covering the free agent centers. Stay tuned for that one. That is definitely what the Kings need the most going into this offseason. But thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again tomorrow.